1: On 3CR Community Radio, 855 kHz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Uh, Hi, I'm Bill, and with my co-hosts, Anne and Mitch, I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. We pay our respects to their Elders, past and present, and acknowledge that this land was stolen and sovereignty was never ceded. So each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the many programs that assist in recovery from drugs, amber, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Um, my guest today is a person who has exper- experienced extreme gambling harm, who is recovering with the help of Gamblers Anonymous and with the help of the Alliance of Gambling Reform. So I'd like to welcome Bree to the show. Hi Bree.
2: Hello, how are you going?
1: Very well. So Bree, you know the structure of the show. We sort of talk about growing up. Yep. Where life took you, why you sought help, mm-hmm. and how that how that help changed your life. Yep. So, um, would you like to, I guess, start off talking about growing up and the things that influenced you to take the path you took?
2: Um, I don't think anything influenced me, as in when I was growing up. Um, I come from a wonderful family with a lot of love, a lot of support. I'm one of six, so... Um, And I'm also the baby, (laughs) so I was very spoilt. My parents were very loving um, and provided for us all really well. Um, I went to a Catholic um, primary school, a Catholic private high school. So, yeah, in all sense of the word, I was a very grounded (laughs) young individual. Yeah, a lot of um, potential.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So
1: what about friendships? Yeah, friendships, very connected. Very connected. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So how did you get on with your... Siblings. Um,
2: yeah, I was. Um, my sister and I have a matching tattoo, <laughs> so um, very well. Yeah. Um, I was very close with um, most of my siblings. Um, one of them did, um, actually, a couple of them, but one of them did um, suffer with addiction. Um, but I was so young, I didn't really, I couldn't recognise what that was. But um, but it didn't affect me. My parents made sure of that. Um, yeah. So. I wouldn't say that it was any influences no, from when I was young.
1: Formative issues, yeah. yeah. So, were you a good student?
2: Um, yes, I was a good student. I wasn't, um, I wasn't that academic, but as in terms of um, school spirit and um, determination, I was just maybe yeah. not academically. I didn't have the the marks always, but definitely the
1: drive. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so, did you have any? Any gambling or drug or alcohol attractions as a growing up?
2: Yeah, my father. My father did gamble. Yep. Um, almost on the daily. Um, with greyhounds and horses. Yep. So, um, but I've never gambled. Um, in that respect, I've never, except for Melbourne Cup. Um, we do a sweep a twenty a twenty cent um yep. sweep with the family, but other than that, <laughs> um, even though I was, I guess I was exposed to it, it wasn't something that I've ever taken up or. Yeah, my mother worked at the bingo centre, but again, that wasn't anything. Yeah. I've been to bingo once. It's very fast. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> again, that's not something that I um, have participated in it ever, so... Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, when did you first try something that is considered antisocial, like gambling or drinking mm. or drugs?
2: So, um, so well, I, I did start taking party drugs at the age of 18. Yep. Um, but in the beginning of all of it it was quite a as safe as you can it was a safe environment um around people that i'm still friends with to this day so yeah it was um the safest way i guess to experience drug use um and it didn't turn problematic until life circumstances um dramatically changed
1: yeah so what was that
2: uh, my parents passed, so oh, okay. um, I was 20, and my mother had suddenly um, she went into hospital on Monday, and then she was she was um, she had passed by Wednesday, so it was quite quick, um, and yeah, out of the blue as well. So wow, mm, and then my father died a year later, almost to the day. Wow. Yeah, my father was ill, but my whole life yes, he had okay. diabetes, so he had a okay. array of different problems. Yeah, and he was an amputee, and he had gangrene in the bone, yeah, <laughs> and was legally blind. Right, okay. Yeah. And so on and so forth, yeah. yeah. Okay,
1: so that must have put the family into a lot of turmoil. Yes, it
2: did. Yeah. Yeah, a so. lot of grief in a yeah. very short amount of time.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, and we were very, very close. And very, all of us were grounded. And
1: yeah, it was a very sad time. So if if you don't mind just talking about that a bit then. So how did that change? Did that change the, not how did it, did it change the dynamic between the family members?
2: Um, yeah, for, a, for, a, for some time it did. I think everybody was going through their own grief. Yeah. Um, and um, just felt very alone when the two people that love you the most um, are no longer here. It's a very, as a young person, it's a very hard thing to wrap your head around so
0: yeah
2: um and obviously my brothers and sisters were also going through their own processes of grief so when you're grieving it's hard to be there for somebody who's grieving (laughs) fully
0: yeah
2: Yeah. um so i think i well i definitely fell further into addiction and um coped with the grief and the pain of it because it was very consuming especially with my father um because i became his full-time carer in the last year of his life
0: right
2: so um yeah. It was very difficult.
1: So how did it affect your relationships with other people?
2: Um, it, well, it just shifted on where the energy, what relationships it went into. I don't think it necessarily affected my relationships with other people. It was just the type of people I was forming relationships with or closer bonds with were, were drug addicts and people of that particular world and and they're, and they're not bad people, they're just
1: people that are addicted are addicted yeah. that's right yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah um so uh would you like to talk about how your life changed mm. at that point what yeah what sort of things what the ch- i guess the change of emphasis, you know how it was i guess more difficult to look after yourself i guess oh. your f- your family members were older,
2: yeah, 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 they were um um well, it was extremely difficult. We, mum and dad, um, they had a caveat on the house which needed to be paid, so we needed to sell the home. Yep. Um, and then an incident happened um, with my brother, and then we packed the house up. Um, but in saying that, that's where I lived. So, yep. <laughs> um, And because I was so already so lost within addiction, I might, I don't know, I didn't see it. You know, everybody's got their own different viewpoints, but I didn't mm. see it. I think for what it really was, um, and even maybe if someone did reach out their hand, I, I have no recollection of that. So I yeah. was pretty deep in it at that point. Um, so I couch surfed for quite a while, <laughs> yeah, and I just I didn't have any stable base. Which obviously, when there's no stable stable base for a person, it's um. Well, it's hard to ground yourself. It's hard to figure out where you sit in the world, really. Yeah. So it was just a day-by-day survival thing, I think, yeah. for quite some time.
0: Yeah.
1: So where did your drug addiction take you?
2: Um, um, to not-so-good people.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> not all of them, but there were a few. Um, and um, my brother actually um, developed brain cancer. And he's since passed away, um, he passed away a number of years ago, um, but at the time, um, yeah, at the time he, I was involved with these people and, um, or knew these people that, that brought medical, um, cannabis oil to my attention, I didn't know anything about it prior to, and, um. Yes, I was very highly manipulated, and it actually led me to fraud, which um, landed me in jail, <laughs> and now still clawing my way back
1: <laughs> from so, all of that. Oh yeah. So do you want to talk a bit about, I guess, coming from a good family mm. and ending up in jail and going mm. through that process? What was the? How did you feel as you went through that process? Oh, very ashamed.
0: A
2: lot of regret, very ashamed, Um, feeling very stupid as well. Um, It was painted to me that, you know, it was a victimless crime, nobody was getting hurt. Yeah, so, and the police don't get involved, and I don't know how I was so naive, but but I was. (laughs) Yeah. And prior to um, me becoming involved with this, I was actually, I was studying aged care and wanted to yeah, have that as a career. Um, so yeah, obviously didn't complete that. Um, yeah, it's a very, very terrible time in my life.
1: yeah. Mm. So going to prison is difficult for anybody. Mm. So how did it impact you?
2: Um, so the day I was actually sentenced to prison, i um the prison went into lockdown. Um, because of COVID-19. So when I was at the court um, being taken away and sentenced to the 10 months, um, all my family was there. And as far as I was aware, they were going to – I was seeing them later on that afternoon – Only to be told in the afternoon, um, still through processing, because it was taking quite some time, Mm. um, one of the guards came in and said, oh, I'm sorry it's taking so long, but we've had to lock the prison down and inform the women that they won't be having face-to-face visits anymore. Mm. So I didn't see my family the whole, well, almost one visit uh, a few weeks before I was released. But I didn't see my family in the entire time, Mm. which made it extremely difficult. Yeah. It's like the worst time to go to prison.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, it mm. sounded like a shocking time. Yeah, it was. Um, so how did your family support you when you came out?
2: Um, oh, even even going through the whole process, they were extremely supportive. Mm. Every one of them showed me a lot of love, unconditional love, a lot of support. I definitely wasn't alone. Yeah, on that journey. Okay. And I had daily phone calls and everything like yeah. that with them. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, so the other one is I'm not sure but in prison is it difficult to access drugs
2: I didn't participate in that yeah Yeah. Yeah. I I wouldn't any slight hint of that because I didn't want it to affect any possible visits yeah so because you would be reprimanded um, obviously if there was any contraband of any
1: Mm.
2: sort so um, I just it wasn't something I was willing to
1: participate in I agree Good idea. No. <laughs> um, so, I guess on release, then, mm-hmm. what was your biggest challenge?
2: Um, I think because throughout um, throughout my sentencing, um, I did receive counselling every week, <clears throat> but I um, I thought that um, the drugs and the gambling went hand in hand, and the Gambling was only compulsive or uncontrollably compulsive due to the drugs, which was not the right thing to be thinking or believing. Yep. Um, to not give it its credit and realize that gambling is in its own is in its own column, um, and it can be very ever-present, regardless of drugs or not. But that's not what I thought. So I thought, now that I don't, I'm not using drugs, the gambling won't be an issue. I'll be able to go to the Pokies, and that's not,
1: yeah, that's not what I could do. Yeah. Mm. Um, so getting over your drug addiction, then, mm-hmm. how was it? Was that easy? In hindsight?
2: Um, no, no, no. <laughs> Nothing's really easy, is it? Um, but the gambling is something that. Caused the pain and the the life direction, yeah. The Check, different life yeah. direction, yeah. Okay. And, and and permanently. Yeah. It is affected my life permanently.
1: Yeah. Due to the fraud, obviously. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, I just want to take you back to the, the drug addiction. So what? How did you overcome your
2: why well, ten yeah. months?
1: <laughs> oh, okay. So it was basically cold turkey.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, it had to be. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cigarettes, everything. If you know, obviously, I've taken up smoking again. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, everything's cold turkey in there. Yeah. But the pain when you're away from your family. Yes. <laughs> and your loved ones and your support system that you know. Um. That's all you crave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's all you crave. Yeah. Is and nothing else matters. I wasn't thinking about a cigarette, I wasn't thinking about taking drugs, and for quite some time at the beginning of my sentence, I wasn't even thinking about gambling. Mm. Um, but the first thing that crept back in was gambling. I can't wait to gamble, right? So okay. I couldn't wait to gamble.
0: Yeah,
2: I thought even though that con- uncontrollable urge was there, I still didn't recognize that it was a very big issue and problem at that point
1: mm. mm-hmm. okay well listen we might take a short break there um, I've got a song this one's called Smiley by Ronnie Burns from 1969
3: oh. Monday morning feels so bad everybody seems to like me coming Tuesday I feel better When things just don't go
0: Strong Spirit, First Nations Issues, Families, People, and Stories from a First Nations Perspective. Mondays at 1pm on 3CR. Proud
3: Black Man, Proud Black man, you should not wonder.
1: Ah, welcome back. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kHz on your AM dial, and 3CR on digital radio. If you'd like to listen to one of our many podcasts, you can find us on your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free and check out our website. Uh, you can also contact us via phone and email or Twitter. Uh, today I'm talking with Bree, and we're talking about compulsive gambling and her recovery through Gamblers Anonymous and her work with the Alliance for Gambling Reform. So, Bree, um, before this sh- um, break, we were talking about you... Your real desire was to, to gamble. Mm. So do you want to talk about how gambling, how you started gambling? Um,
2: I, I remember I, we received, I gambled I think a few times, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't rememberable, I don't think. But the time that I remember was um, when I received my inheritance. I think it was about, no, nearly twenty-three, I believe, um, which was a large enough amount of money. Um, in particular, at the time, I'd never had tens of thousands of dollars, so it was about thirty-three, I believe. Um, and I went and cashed the check. Um, and I'd never really gambled much before that, but um, found myself um, at a venue, and I remember counting after the little spurt of a few hours I managed to spend I think it was three or four thousand dollars at that point um which was a lot of money a lot of money for somebody who never gambled more than a couple of hundred It was a lot of money and I couldn't believe I had done that and (laughs) I still can't believe I continued to do that for 10 years um but, yeah, that was the very first time that I remember it being
1: pivotal. Mm. So a lot of people talk about gambling, particularly on poker machines, mm. in getting in the zone and just mm-hmm. excluding everything else. So, And a lot of people talk about it being escaping from all their other thoughts. Hypnotised, yeah. is what I like to say. Okay, yeah. So do you hypnotized. want to talk about the experience? Um,
2: nothing else, and as the years rolled by, nothing else mattered. Unfortunately, it it controlled my mood. It controlled... If I hadn't gone within a day, which was very, very rare, um, I would literally have physical... What felt like physical withdrawals. Um, I'd be extremely anxious. Um, I'd be snappy. I'd shake. It was um, like I just needed to go. It was... Um, such an unhealthy thing, and to not um, nobody approaches you, nobody nobody mm. steps in. There's nothing yeah. that when you're served alcohol, you're served up to a certain point of intoxication. But mm. when you are going to these places and you are playing these machines, or oh, sorry, <sighs> you were gambling on these machines, because it's not a fun act of oh, playing. It's not. It's serious and it has life-devastating effects but no one interjects. If you're in a lower-income suburb and you're pouring and you're there for six hours, eight hours, and you're pouring 50 after 50 after 50, and the staff member are even changing shifts over and yeah. you've been there the whole time, nobody yeah. stops you. Mm. I just find that incredibly neglectful from our government and our and our and our government on a community level as well.
4: Mm. And how did your addiction develop over time? Was it from that pivotal moment from when you were 23 or was mm. it a gradual thing? Or No, I
2: think for, from that, from that one time, I think you're always chasing, you're always chasing, which mind you, it doesn't ever, you never get enough. You never win enough. Um, I had won a significant amount of money in about a week and a half. I just... It was grand after grand after grand, um, and didn't make any difference. Didn't make any difference. In fact, the car that I did buy out of out of that money, I ended up selling for for a gambling debt that I needed to pay. So it's just
1: yep. relentless. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. never enough. No, no. Um, so were you working at the time?
2: Um, no. no. I worked on and off, but. No. Okay.
1: So, a lot of people talk about the the difficulties when they're gambling of spending their entire pay packet and not mm. having anything to eat. Correct. So, what was your experience with gambling? Well, well, I was a single mum,
2: so my Centrelink would be would go on that, and I guess that's also what made the fraud so attractive, as in at the time. Yep. Um, and also because my brother, he was struggling quite a lot financially as well. Um, so um, it just all, as wrong as it was, it just, you care about the here and now, especially when you're, it's all a mixture of, um, of addiction that, drug addiction that obviously clouds your judgment as well. But um, we would go, um, the people that I was involved with, we would go to the venues and sometimes we would, I would be told, well, you're not getting yours if you don't come with us. And it's like, oh, isn't that sweet?
0: Mm.
2: They want to spend time with me.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very sad and naive.
0: Mm.
1: <laughs> mm. Um, so having a child then, mm. did that, how did that influence the way you gambled? It didn't. Yeah.
2: Nothing influences the way a person gambles, nothing mm. stops you. It has made me gambling has made me do things that are a hundred percent out of my moral compass and things that I stand for and the person that I am it it throws all of that out the window because nothing matters other than getting the money to to gamble
4: mm. Did those huge hires um, from certain payouts affect the way you would? Then gamble, like, the next day or the next time you want to gamble? No. As in, no. Okay.
2: Not at all. Not at all. It wouldn't... It it doesn't matter. You just find yourself back there. It doesn't matter if you win. It doesn't matter if you lose. And the lies that you tell when you're a gambler or when you're gambling, when you're experiencing gambling Mm. Um, harm, they're just... It makes my skin crawl, to be honest, the lies. I need $20 for fuel. I don't need $20 for fuel. I'm, in, I'm literally in the car park outside the venue.
1: Yeah. yeah. It, it's similar in all things that are addictive, though. Once, mm. once somebody's within their orbit, uh, the truth mm. doesn't matter quite so much.
2: I never lied with my drug use. As in, and I'd never done anything dishonest to to feel that that addiction mm. at all, yeah. ever. I never stole. I never, I never, not every single person knew about it in my life, but majority of. Mm. My, all my family knew it wasn't something. It just didn't make me, like I said before, with my moral compass, it didn't, it didn't take me to any even anywhere near those boundaries gambling mm. went up over and very far from above and beyond yeah yeah <laughs> turned me into somebody i wasn't
1: yeah mm. <clears throat> so when did you start seeking help for your gambling
2: oh, years ago yeah years
1: yeah so do you want years. to talk about that
2: um so i've um i've done everything from um hypnotherapy i've been to hypnotherapy four four times um which A couple of those times did work for a small amount of time, but the urges and ultimately the behaviour returned. Um, Gambler's Not Anonymous I found extremely helpful and supportive. Um, But it is around um, individual responsibility, um, which is in and around shame. And the thing with shame is that it doesn't promote any growth. It keeps you... In that shame, it, it just keeps you in that spot. Um, and when I, um, I was, I hadn't gambled in like four weeks, I think it was, it was about three or four weeks, yeah. and I, um, came across the Alliance um, for Gambling Reform, and that's, yeah, that's what really, and ultimately, I think not I think I definitely know that that's what changed my mind yeah
1: Yeah.
2: as in where where how I thought and how I looked at everything
1: yeah so what was it about that that you think was crucial for you
2: um finding out I didn't even know that the government profited off poker machines I didn't even know that I remember my partner telling me and I was like what do you mean the government gets money it's like I'm like it goes to the venue doesn't it it's like no government gets it from the taxes yep. um, and little did I know it was billions of dollars and it was quite intentional where they strategically place the venues.
4: Mm. And can you tell me about um, individual responsibility and the pressure mm. you placed on yourself and how that kind of developed as you were trying to overcome your addiction?
2: I think every time you lapse um, you just feel like a failure you feel like you are a def- defected person yep. and you just think what is wrong with me why can't i stop i know how harmful it is i know where it's already led me and where it will continue why can't i stop um yeah Did i you, just think um, that yeah, I'm so yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah,
4: go. Uh, did you share those thoughts when you were having them with other people? Or did you bottle mm-hmm. that all up? No, no I'm definitely it. a talker. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely a talker. So um, I, I've always had a lot of supports around me. Maybe not always the best ones, <laughs> but um, they're, they're definitely there. The best ones are definitely there when when I want them. So um, I'm very fortunate in that way, but it, it's... Again, it's around that that shame, and when you think you're the problem,
0: yeah, yeah,
2: you can't you can't fully recover. I think that's might for me personally. I don't yeah. think I think that's why I eventually ended up lapsing each time is because it was me. It was I'm the problem, but I'm not.
1: OK, well, listen, we might take another short break. Um, I've got a song, this one's called "Lovers in the Air by John Paul Young from 1978.
3: Love is in the air Everywhere I look around Love is in the air Every sight and every sound ecr's annual radiathon fundraiser
1: launches in june we need your financial support to be independent community controlled and focused on people rather than profits Ah, This is the Living Free Show on 3CR Digital Radio, live streaming on 3cr.org.au, and we're talking with Bree, and we're talking about gambling harm and her recovery through Gamblers Anonymous and the Alliance of Gambling Reform. Um, So uh, before the break, we were talking about um, the fact that poker machines are an insidious form of uh, gambling, Mm -hmm. and that um i guess the state has a has a huge stake in keeping them going in real time yeah term.
2: federal yeah. yeah federal and state yeah um, absolutely they do
1: yeah so do you want to talk about um your involvement in trying to bring gambling reform to the public's attention
2: um well i've been told through my story because of it is a quite severe case um ultimately I was sentenced to prison um, and my life will unfortunately never recover completely from that um, because of those fraud, fraud charges um, and it all could have been prevented <laughs> really if the government um, stepped up and didn't let industry write its own policies um, we wouldn't be here. I'd be a contributing member of society more than likely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because I wasn't that far down the road with the drugs, I don't think, to not be able to turn turn my life around.
1: Yeah. Well, I good. had a
2: lot of family support. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's <laughs> yep. right. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that the Gambling Reform um, Alliance for Gambling Reform does is collaborates with organisations concerned mm-hmm. about the harmful effects of gambling in Australia. Correct. So. Do you want to talk a bit about what you're trying to do with your voice?
2: Yeah, so it's just my story. We've really spoke about... Um, I've been interviewed um, through, seven di- through several different um, places and news stations and programs um, because it is it is a section that is not protected. And the community are not protected. Um, and that's what we're really calling for. They don't need to be open as long as they are. They don't need to be as present as they are. There doesn't need to be as many machines. Australia has over 200,000 poker machines. Wow. And we we are at the top of the list. We're at the top of the list as in a gambling nation. And we're known for that. Per capita? Per capita. Yeah. As in we, we yeah. surpass the next country below us by 40%. Wow. Yeah. So it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah, and considering that we're only 0.1% of the world's population, but we have 20% nearly of the world's poker machines is just crazy. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you also mentioned about the placement of poker machines mm-hmm. and, and the fact that that appears to be... Intentional. Intentional, yeah. Absolutely. So
2: do you want to talk it about is. that? Um, so they're in, in lower income areas um, and... And areas that are challenged there are more pubs and clubs filled with these machines um, from the suburb that I'm from yep. they're everywhere they're at every corner quite literally where I live um, there is about four or five venues I think within walking distance which is just crazy
0: yeah <laughs> considering
2: yeah. that other areas might have half of the amount of machines Ha- and half of the amount of clubs and have half of the amount of losses
1: because mm. they're not everywhere. Yeah. So what do people
2: do internationally? What's the experience? Oh, the, we, we, we are alone in our gambling, um, gambling policies. Um, Japan actually, it's a criminal offence to gamble in Japan. And Norway in 2007 actually um, banned... Um, poker machines and also immediately got rid of them immediately took them all out it wasn't this five-year plan it wasn't this 10-year saga that our governments are trying to they're addicted to the profits obviously from it because it's billions of dollars but they need to find a different way
4: (laughs) so touching on some of the statistics you've just shared with us about Mm -hmm. gambling in Australia. How important do you think education is uh, 100%, 100%, regarding addressing the issue?
2: 100% important.
4: Yeah. Hundred. What, what ways?
2: As in, we learn about drugs and alcohol and the harms of it at a very young age, and smoking at a very young age. Yep. There is the, even the advertisement of gamble responsibly after there has just been, I know that that's recently changed thanks to the Alliance, work with the Alliance, but it is it is just rotten to its core. How much it is promoted, and and to our young people, yeah. and even the fake games—they're promoted. They're 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 encouraging the type of behaviour that is ultimately going to lead to gambling real money. It is just so. Mm. We said it before. We said it before. Insidious and and, and intentional. Evil. Yeah, and evil. Yep. yep. You hit you hit the nail on the head with that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It is very evil to its core.
4: Yeah.
1: So another thing that I know you've been involved with is uh, Three Sides of the Coin. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we had them on the show uh, back in 29th of August, 2019, mm-hmm. and we sort of covered one of their stories. So what's your involvement been?
2: Um, I'm a new new member okay. of that. So, yeah. Um, yeah, we're still at the very first stages of collaboration, but um, they uh, perform... Um, to various um, companies and organizations the harms of gambling and, and what that looks like in all its various forms yeah they're quite incredible <laughs> group of people
1: yeah um, so when you said you're a new member and they're looking at your story so they're planning to do a, a play well, we perform we perform your performance the, yeah. on your story yeah that's okay. right yeah right. so do you want to talk a bit about how that how that develops it's still in a very early stages so I'm still going through
2: the development so um but yeah it's pretty exciting I'm I'm so happy to be involved with them and everything else that I've been involved with it's all been extremely positive and empowering um and taking taking back my power has been I think an important part of my of my ultimate recovery and and continued recovery
4: mm. what do you think as to the role of theatre in regards to gambling education
2: um, I think that it was very effective I've seen a performance and it's it's very effective it speaks to I've seen it speak to every single member of that audience everybody yeah. was moved by it and I think it, it's a wonderful way to to show people the harms of it all mm. and the various various ways it can be harmful as well the various people that are affected because it's not just the gambler it's not just the person gambling that is affected
0: Mm.
2: obviously they're the person who is the most severely affected um but even in the worst of the worst cases it's still their family that has to has to live with that as well and Mm. that and and also the shame of it all it's just horrible Mm. what people go through Mm. with gambling
1: so do you want to talk a bit about how gambling has affected your relationships with other people Mm.
2: um i'm i'm very fortunate i am i have an extremely loving fiance um i have a very loving family his family is extremely loving so and i have a lot of very close friends that know who i am as a person so i've been very fortunate that people still take me for me and i don't feel judgment or 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 distrust from them. Yeah, yeah. Yep. For some time during during the addiction, there was some distrust, and I couldn't be trusted. I would lie. I would lie every day if I had to. To be able to gamble. Mm.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's, it's often said of an addict, don't get between the addict and the and the addiction. Because oh, <laughs> it is. It's like not a, nothing not a nice else. Place, yeah, yeah,
2: it is not a nice place. I, mm. I one of my um. One of my best friends, I made cry once, because they didn't stop at the venue I wanted them to stop at.
0: Mm.
2: I yelled and I screamed, and quite seriously, because it was a serious thing at in that moment. I wanted to go to that venue, and I told them to stop, and they did, and they kept going, and I lost it. <laughs> it. Just takes over your whole mind, your actions.
0: Mm
2: and it's and it's an indescribable thing in hindsight of it all, you know, you don't understand how on earth it got you to do the things you
1: did. <laughs> mm. Um so w- what about your relationship with your child now?
2: Mhm.
1: Do you want to talk a bit about how you've changed, you know, in, um, in that present, relationship? I'm yeah.
2: present in yeah. the moment now. Um I also think when you're gambling, you're very you're on autopilot even when you're there you're not really there you're thinking about either if you already have the money to go you're thinking about going or you're thinking about how to get money to be able to go so it's it's very consuming in every sense and then even after you've been and you're lying in bed you can hear the music it is just it just takes over every single section of your life so i was late to every function I was, I left early to every function, which I still do kind of now, but not as <laughs> not as severely, nowhere near as severely. I um everything centers around it.
4: And what about educating your child on the dangers of gambling when they're when, of age to understand?
2: Yeah, once once he's of age to understand, he will definitely know. I do throw little hints hints now, even even though he's he's not he's turning ten this year. So, but I think it's important for for them to put that education out there and real education and the real facts that, that do 100% matter and they should be should be putting it out there, not just a small little card in a venue. Mm. And, and, and also the lies on those cards saying that they'll ask about your gambling habits, they won't ask. They don't ever ask. They don't ever in, intrude. They don't ever interrupt. If anything, they'll bring you your favourite drink so you don't even need to leave the machine. Mm-hmm. So... Did, did you yeah. ever
1: put yourself on a self exclusion yes. list yep. yeah been Do you want on to it talk for years about that? yeah
2: yeah absolutely um I well before I um I was sentenced to prison I um went and participated in the self exclusion which is only it's not for crown casino it's only for pubs and clubs and you name the area and then they ban you from that particular area which it's not really enforced unfortunately it's not but that's and that's not the self-exclusion program—it's not their responsibility. It ultimately comes down to the responsibility of the pubs and the clubs and the st- mm. and even the staff, the individual staff members. They they only do what they're told to do. Mm. So if they're not, if it's not a thing that's pushed, then why would they do that?
1: Mm. And my understanding as well is that if you want to be excluded from every venue in the state, you've got to fill out an awful lot of paperwork.
2: yeah, you need to name a lot of different suburbs. I'm excluded from nearly oh it's one hundred and seventy something venues, so but I had to put down every suburb that every venue was in, so there's a lot of suburbs i've got it's yeah. like four pages, <laughs> yeah, there's not any nationwide um national exclusion list, unfortunately. And like I said, it's not really pushed that hard within the Pubs and clubs. So
1: no, well, no. Well, my understanding also is that they don't necessarily have to check when you come in that you're not on the list. No, they just it's they have just to notice lucky. you. Yeah, they have to notice you. Yeah.
2: It's not something that's pushed onto the staff yeah. members as a serious thing, and mm. it is a serious thing. and They'll yeah. also let you play, and then if you win, they won't give you your money. <laughs> that's <laughs> been um spoke about recently, which is yeah. just absurd. Yeah. Um, how they can get away, and they do, they get away with it because. They write their own policies and procedures and laws and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. They're deep within our government, unfortunately. Mm
4: -hmm.
2: So there's no reprimand. There's no anything. Yeah.
4: (laughs) Mm. Yeah. I've worked in some of these... um uh, poker machine rooms before, and it's so encouraged to keep the people that are spending 100%. the most there for as long as possible. You mentioned before getting them their favorite drink, mm-hmm. making sure they're in their favorite machine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, disgusting. Really, it's disgusting. It's really normalized in a lot of different venues.
2: There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. There's everything wrong with yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And considering that these people are spending money that, and the thing is to no one questions, how has that person been in every single day for the last month?
1: Yeah, how can they afford to? Yeah. Ca-
2: nobody yeah. can afford to. No. A mandatory cashless system is the only way. I I personally believe it's the only way that's going to work and going to reduce the amount of gambling harm that's out there and 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 put it in the hands of the government and the industry and not it's it's an intentionally addictive product. So mm. the, the only way anybody could get addicted, myself. Mm the both of you it's anybody it doesn't matter it just depends on your life circumstances and as soon as it gets half the opportunity it will it -hmm. can and it will and Mm -hmm. it does Mm -hmm. and before you know Mm it you're doing things that are going to change your life for the rest of your life
1: Mm. Mm. okay Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) um so i guess to to take us back then um do you want to talk about what other people are doing that you know in trying mm. to bring i guess the awareness to government to industry to mm. society about what can be done there's
2: there's a lot yeah. there's a lot that can be done there's a lot that not can it needs to be done and it should be done yeah. people are people are losing their lives to this and not lives in 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 the literal sense their lives they're they're taking their own lives it's it's a horrible thing and it does. It leaves you so broken and I know from my own personal experience, you think that you're never going to be able to break free of it. It's just as soon as there's money in your hands, you're always going to do it because you don't want to do it and as soon as you have the opportunity, you you find yourself back there and it, there needs to be a call that what they've done in Tasmania, the mandatory cashless system, it needs to be across Australia, mm. and there's no reason why there shouldn't be.
0: Mm.
2: And and the fact that government just continues to divert our, or completely ignore all of everything that, in particularly recently in the media, all the stories, mm. all the people that have been affected, and the, <laughs> the statistics that you hear sometimes, mm. um, oh, it's one percent of the population. It's not one percent of the population. It's a much much larger Percent of the population.
1: Well, plus each gambler affects their family. And their so, family, correct? Yeah, their yeah, children, yeah.
2: marriage breakdowns, correct? Yeah. Family violence. Yeah, people. I, I would literally go hungry, and as would all of the gamblers that I know. Every single person that gambles that I know would rather, rather than go buy something to eat, you would go to a venue, because mm. that's how much it controls you. That it, that you're quite happy to be hungry.
4: And what you're doing is so important because it's almost as if you're, well, you are fighting against the government. 100%. You know, and it's like unspoken and, you know, it's like you're you're trying to do something which is like not discussed and for a lot of people not even seen as a big issue because of education. A they promote,
2: of reasons. It. they, they pro- promote it.
4: They promote it, exactly. They promote it. Yeah. They
2: promote it. It's, and it's n- something that's not regulated at all. And it's ridiculous.
4: Yeah.
0: It's
2: ridiculous that you can't download an app without having an ad for gambling. It's ridiculous yes, that you can't uh, yeah. go on social media without an ad for gambling. It's ridiculous that up until recently you could even gamble with credit, money that you don't even have, mm. and 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 nobody ever pulls a person up if whether it be an online account or a, or a in-person activity. No one, how have, how have you got this money? everyone blames the sole individual well what about the person or the people behind where they were going to gamble why are they not held responsible in every other sector of every other thing in the world people are held to account you can't go out and and intentionally give a product it's recalled correct if it's harmful or if yeah. it's dangerous yeah. but somehow gambling it doesn't it doesn't apply to gambling
1: flies below the radar yep,
2: yep. Uh, it's just allowed mm. yep. not in any other country mind you we stand alone we literally stand alone
1: <laughs> okay um, if anybody would like to find out more about Gamblers Anonymous uh, you can phone them in Victoria on 03 9696 6108, or go online at gaustralia.org.au and if you're interested in the Alliance for Gambling Reform uh, they're uh, website is agr.org.au. Now that's about all we've got time for today, so I'd like to thank Brie for sharing her gambling recovery story with us and talking about how Gamblers Anonymous and the Alliance for Gambling Reform have helped their recover- her recovery. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we're we'll talking with a member of Alcoholics Anonymous about the impact of alcoholism on their life. Um, coming up next, we've got Balanwa, the spirit of Wa hosted by Uncle Telgum Choco Edwards. Uh, Join Uncle Choco in the spirit of wah on a journey of belonging and movement through sing-alongs and yarns. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR.
2: You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio
4: station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia.